Music Biz 101 more on Brave New Radio 88.7 WPSC. Yes. It's great to be here. I'm your professor, David Kirk Frope, along with your doctor, Professor Esteban. Marconi. Great to have him here. Marconi, it's great to have you here. Where are we? We are in Nashville, Tennessee, ah, on, on location. Tell by the room. Yes. You can ah. tell by the sound, by the room, we are in the great. greatest city in the world Lights. for musica. That's right. We have there, no windows. You'd never know we're in Nashville. Nothing. Aside from us telling you this. Right. But 87 degrees out. 87 degrees outside, 60 Beautiful. in the room. So we're happy to be here. So we have a great guest with us for yes. this particular session, Tom Grover Beery. Tom Grover Beery! Tom Grover! There he is, that's right, right. Yes! The people listening are standing right now. Yeah, they're applauding. Yeah, we have standing, that stand, standing ovation. Yeah, you get a standing ovation just by listening to you. Excellent. That's a cool thing. And we have uh, Jeff Sourman, who is our student co host, Jeff Sourman. Yeah. Hello. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you very much. They're, they're, they didn't, not as many stood for you. No, yeah, I'm but, not as much of a name. No, no you, you don't have <laughs> You're more of a name. Uh, right. Uh, <laughs> so we want to remind everybody, go to musicbiz101wp.com, sign up for the newsletter, follow us on Instagram and Twitter, the face of the book, at musicbiz101wp, and you're probably hearing this on SoundCloud or iTunes as a podcast. Maybe you're listening to it on Brave New Radio 88.7. We should give thanks real quick to the Music Business Association for giving us this space and allowing us to be in Nashville, the Tennessee state. Yes. It was very nice of you. Thank you, Jim Donio. We also want to give thanks to the folks at Bandine Bruno and White Hat Management. With artists like Charlie Poof, Dave Matthews, and Kiss, there's only one place to go for your band's business management. Go to vb-cpa.com yes. when it's good for you and your band. Grover, we don't want to force them to get management until they really need it. Yeah, okay. All right, so that's important. DIY. It's right. We're living the DIY world. Then we also want to give thanks to Rob Fusari, Grammy winner. Rob mm -hmm. Fusari for his support. At the end, he's, he's an alum of William Patterson the University. At the end of this, you're going to hear the song Don't Let Love Down. And please give thanks to Rob for all that he has done for us. And there's no Lady Gaga without Rob Fusari. There, I said it. By managing your band's sixth edition, coming out on Amazon, the dot com, maybe at a, uh, I was going to say a record store. It's not going to be at a record yeah. store. That's what we should do. We should get our book in record. This is our book, Managing Your Band, uh, in record stores everywhere. Yeah. Uh, by, by K. Talon wow. Ronco. All right. Yeah. That's a real book you got coming. That's right. It's an official book with pages and uh, paragraphs and pictures. That's and, nice. And kids are going to love it. Looks like a lot, of good, a lot of good topics right here. DIY planning. See? Very nice. Mm -hmm. Modern record company structure. Yes. Social media marketing. Yes. You guys are really on top of it. Endorsed by uh, famous Doc McGee. That's right. And we will. We, sh we should send speaking you a copy. Of, speaking of Nashville. Yeah. That's right. We should give Grover a free copy. Of course. Because we're going to get into Grover's been into management. We Grover's been card. involved a lot. I know. We have we to get, get your card. card. We'll He's kind enough to do to No do cards in the digital world. Oh, no? Nothing okay. to bump or anything? Yeah, just, you know. Really? Yeah, straight in. Uh, but let me just say a hug, it can't be 
given away digitally. That's true. Cannot. So speaking of hugs and love, Jeffrey Sarman, <laughs> please, Jeffrey, take it away. Hello. How you doing? Um, the uh, the first question I wanted to ask you was uh, reading your bio. So you you did a lot of artist management and marketing for a lot of bands that were really, personally really big for me: Black Keys, White Stripes, Red Hot Chili Peppers. I was in a Black Keys cover band in high school. Wow! Um, there you go. So mm. yeah, they were. So like, I was ecstatic when I saw that, and I was just curious how your approach like varied when you're trying to manage and market different acts like that. Well. It's a lot wider range that you've worked on than what I did yeah. too. Yeah, so, so on the management side, really, you know, th those are artists that had managers, and I was at Warner Brothers, mm -hmm. right? And so I applied, you know, I didn't technically manage those acts. I was on the marketing side, the radio promotion side, yeah. the career advising side over here <laughs> on the label side. Yeah. And then more from a... You know, from a real management point of view, what we know in the music business as management, right? They all had managers. In the case of, of the Black Keys and the Chili Peppers and Metallica, it's Q Prime, you know, et cetera, et cetera. And I, you know, it's interesting because, you know, artists can fire managers. Generally speaking, they can't fire the label. And so when you're inside the label and you're running a label and you've got you know long relationships with people, right? You can sometimes sort of take some of the brunt of what a manager might like to say, but is afraid of getting fired. Oh, okay. yeah. And so your role kind of, you know, you can you can morph your role into different into different ways, right? Yeah. But with all those acts that you just mentioned, you know, I had this awesome relationship with the people at Q Prime. Right, mm -hmm. and and I'm on the label side, and we just, you know, I had, a, I had a different kind of expertise than they have, right? And so understanding marketing as a label, how to ultimately, in the case of the Black Keys, a very long-term strategy yeah. for the Black Keys to become <laughs> the Black Keys. Yeah. You know, that Seriously. wasn't like a one record thing or a one market thing. That was a strategy that was built that was many years in the making, yeah. right? Yeah. And even, even when you think of Tighten Up, you know, when we first um, put the record out, we weren't even—we didn't even go to radio. We sold seventy-three thousand, debuted at number two, behind somebody—I forget who. But um, our first week that we went for radio ads on Tighten Up, I think we had one or none, wow. right? And so, you know, it's that whole persevering thing that yeah. allows you to break music. You know, like even upstairs when we were just all up watching Julie Greenwald on her on our panel and you know yeah it's you know you you begin at no if everyone says yes then you don't really have a job <laughs> you know yeah, yeah. Sure. um but yeah so so then but then for myself when i left warner brothers right all those acts were signed to warner and i worked with all of them you know in, in different ways and generally from a brainstorming creative marketing way a lot of the things that happened for those acts came out of my brain, right? Oh, okay. And then and I had a team of people who then applied that strategy, you know? So you you came in and worked with Black Keys on the Brothers album that like really made them break out? Yeah, well they were they were the Black Keys had made a bunch of records on a bunch of different indie labels. Yeah. And yeah. then they signed to None Such. Yeah. And None Such was owned by Warners. Oh, okay. okay. And so that was the connectivity to I mean, I was already a fan of the Black Keys, but from a work perspective or a career perspective, it was that they signed to Nunsuch that became, you know, that. And, and and much before Brothers, you know, that was that was the record that broke them yeah. out all the way. Yeah. But it wasn't the record that we started with. Oh, okay. Right. When did they? So, 
What? I, I could ask a million questions about the black. Well, you when can ask did, anything when, you want. Yeah. Okay. What, when did when did they come to Nonsuch? When did they come into your like? Okay, I'm gonna be a little hazy on the dates because yeah, I was at Warner's for 20 years, right? Oh, yeah. Um. I want to say it was around 2006 ish. So I'm <coughs> trying to think of the record. Um, I think that'd be Magic Ma Magic Potion. Yeah, Magic cool. Potion. And and then Dan did a solo record, mm -hmm. and then came attack and release. Yeah, Sorry. and then and then and then came and then came, uh, brothers. brothers. Yeah, yeah. Um, and um, so with Magic Potion, we had about uh, two or three markets that cared about the Black Keys, mm -hmm. right? One of them was San Diego. One was Detroit, uh, and we just, you know, we just focused on those places. It, it, it kind of was a DIY mentality, right? So yeah. instead of trying, even though we're Warner Brothers and we're this giant company with all these resources, we still just focused on two cities. You just <laughs> focused on like fostering where you knew you had a fan base mm -hmm. opposed to trying to Some of the out. stuff hasn't changed at all. That's what people still do. Even though we live in a streaming world that everybody can have everything, mm -hmm. there's still pockets you can develop that allow the traditional aspect of the music business, which is still alive and well, mm -hmm. to sort of foster that, right? And help that move into some kind of in, into some kind of a zone but in, D, in in San Diego there was a radio station um it uh KBT's no I forget their call letters but uh, they were the like 949 I think or something but anyhow they were really supportive and then in Detroit there was a guy that worked for me there named Jerry Cabrera he still works for Warner's there and he was an obsessive music guy still is and a black keys fan and so basically the black keys were coming back and doing like another gig like at a 500 or 600 person club like they'd been doing you know and jerry called and said you know i want to try something to you know try to break the black keys a little bit in detroit and try to make them bigger but i'm gonna have to talk them into playing a 2,000 person venue and I said, all right, well, let's figure this out. You know, what do you want to do? And so basically, we went to a radio station there, Riff, which was a rock station, active rock station. Okay. Had nothing to do with playing the Black Keys, right? But we went to them and we said, look, we've got this band we believe in, they're rock band. But people don't know they're a rock band, but that's what they are, two dudes, whatever. Mm -hmm. And basically, we did a promotion with them and they agreed to go on the air and give away a bunch of tickets. Right, had nothing to do with airplay or how oh, please play the record. It wasn't yeah. even about airplay. It was about just finding fans. Mm -hmm. And so we gave them a bunch of tickets. We went to the promoter and we said, look, move it to this venue. We'll buy these tickets. If it sucks and it doesn't work, we'll reimburse you. We'll pay you. We'll make it so you don't feel bad. And to make a long story short, it worked. And all, you know, we sold way more tickets. We gave the tickets away, and all of a sudden, they're in a 2,000-person venue in Detroit, and people are losing their minds. The station then saw that, started playing the song, mm -hmm. and it changed everything. Yeah, right? I, I uh, personally, I saw them at Terminal Five in New York right before Brothers came out, and it wasn't even a sold-out show. And yeah. then the next year, I saw them, and it was a sold-out Madison Square Garden. Yeah, <laughs> it's crazy, uh, huh? It was amazing. I couldn't believe. Yeah, that it was with more musicians happening. and everything. By the time yeah, they yeah, they yeah. had like yeah, they had like backing musicians and everything. Yeah. So in that case, it was just getting people to see the band. Yeah, which created more buzz, which can yeah. spread from market to market. Yeah, kind, kind, kind of, you know, mm -hmm. yeah. And they, you know, that just kept going. You know, they would never license their music. Right? Yeah, yeah. So it was never were, licensed. Were and then they finally licensed a the song to HBO. And they got their check. 
We just made more money from one license than we made in five years of touring. Wow. You know, because they were grinding, man. Yeah, they yeah, were yeah. grinding Seriously. hard. They were they were like six albums in. And then and then it was like, oh, maybe we should license some more songs. <laughs> you know, it was so, like, man, I made this a good rap. And it worked out really well because not only was it about getting paid some money after struggling for so many years, which who doesn't want to make some money after struggle, right? Yeah. Like who who wouldn't want to do that? But it really was about the exposure. That's why they could come back and do the garden. Yeah, because they did all that groundwork. Mm-hmm. It was all that vibe and understanding and mm-hmm. oh I like them oh I know them oh I kind of know them and then they'd see it somewhere they'd hear mm-hmm. it somewhere and then it just started to connect that was honestly that's exactly what happened to me I knew their name I heard them and then I saw a video of them doing I got mine at the Abbey Road Studios yeah and it, was, and it was when I saw them doing their thing I was like wow yeah you have a Helen Wolf shirt on I do yeah yeah the Black Keys would be happy we're talking about them uh, with yeah. you wearing a Howlin' Wolf <laughs> shirt. Yeah, they, on their uh, on Brothers, they have, uh, oh, God, I'm blanking out on the songs. They have two songs, one dedicated to Muddy Waters, one Howlin' For You for Howlin' Wolf, and yeah. then Black Mud or Electric Mud or something. Electric Muddy Mud Waters. was the Muddy, yeah, it's yeah. Muddy Waters yeah, album. Yeah, those, those are personally two of my big guys biggest uh for blues i'm a big blues guy so yeah. those guys are like how long for you the management company wanted that to be the single we want to tighten up really yeah well and they both ended up being singles right? well yeah but you saw which one was the big one <laughs> true <laughs> true true right they and oh that that's uh the that was a battle yeah. by the way i yeah would did yeah. they push for that how Wolf had a huge music video too so it, i yeah. felt like they were really pushing how long for song. you yeah. yeah yeah but that came after yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, you mentioned the battle. Um, that's kind of something. I mean, you don't have to get into names or actual words, but no, 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 man, let, let's talk no, about no, that man, between no. a label and a manager. Yeah, it was just. Um, I mean, it was a good. It was a good. It was a good conversation and a good dialogue. And you know, um, you know, the 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 Black Keys day to day manager, or the real manager manager, is a guy named John Peets, and then the then Q Prime's the management company. So Cliff Bernstein is kind of like the, you know up here and owns the company and founded it. And Cliff and I had an awesome relationship, so we could battle in a great way, you know. And and you know, I'm I'm, I'm really lucky. I'm, I'm probably one of the few people that he ever really sort of gave into, right? Mm-hmm. And we just thought "Tighten Up" was the song, you know. Mm-hmm. And and they went back and you know, "Tighten Up" didn't exist by the way when they turned the record in. And so that's when they went and worked with Danger Mouse. Yeah. Right, and so anyhow, so you know, but but tighten up, um, you know, it just became yeah, that, 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 that was that, the song number that was one. Like yeah, it became a number one record. All and of my friends were like, "Oh, the Black Keys, the Tighten Up Band." Right? Yeah, and I was like, yeah yeah, "Yeah, yeah, yeah." So anyhow, yeah, that I think that's right, right? Yeah, Tighten Up was the song that uh, that Danger Mouse oh, did, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah he did, I think he did the album. He did attack. He produced Attack and Release, and I think he produced. Brothers no, he didn't well. do Attack and Release. Oh, he he didn't. No, Dan Solar record. No, no, the Attack, oh, Attack and Release is a Black Keys. Oh, album. what's the what's the oh uh, keep, uh, it hit. keep it hit. Yeah, yeah. Um, wait, Attack and Release. That was the one right before Brothers. And what was the single on Attack and Release? Uh, Oceans and Streams. Mm-mm. I got mine. I got mine was one, but there was one before that. I don't know. Ah, uh, but I don't think I don't think I don't. Lies maybe. Yeah, nah, maybe. Oh, sorry, but I need to stay. Yeah. You can, um, but you can look it up, and I'm almost certain that Danger Mouse did tighten up only. 
Oh, yeah. really? I think, but I okay. might be wrong. I, I, I can't remember. It's been a while. Yeah. But, but then when I left Warner Brothers, I actually did go on into the management side. So then I went from oh. like being on the label side and doing all the label stuff, mm -hmm. and then I went to um, the collective. That that was what I was gonna ask. Is that where you did that? Yeah. I wanted to ask about collective, the collective. Like what exactly that was and what. Well, you the collective was a big management company, okay. so they managed Lincoln Park slash, oh. um, um, Plain White Tees. Uh, was Jimmy Cliff part of that? Yeah, Jimmy Cliff was. Was was managed there as well. Yep. They're still around, right? Jimmy Cliff. No, no, the, the collective. The collective. It's mm. No. Because I'm looking because they have a website. It has like Clint Black and Sarah Evans. I can't tell if that's the same it's, collective it's, or a different. It's sort of. I can't tell you for sure, mm -hmm. but um, but the collective became a multi-channel network, and formed the collective digital studio, mm -hmm. and then put all their effort basically into uh, into that, into artists on YouTube and monetizing them all oh, against a okay. single, you know, against a channel. Mm -hmm. And they kind of got somewhat out of the music business based on that, which is why I ended up leaving. You left in 14, I, right? Yeah, I left there because of, they really didn't want to be in the music business, you know. Mm -hmm. But with the Jimmy Cliff record that won a Grammy, I put that yeah. whole thing together, Rebirth. Oh. So I did the whole record. Oh, wow. You know? Yeah, that was fun. Jimmy Cliff is an amazing artist. Mm -hmm. He's the greatest. Right. And, um, and I did a Counting Crows record that was a covers record that did really well. And I signed band, uh, Dan's backup band for his solo record. Was called, they were called Hacienda oh, okay. uh, from Texas. And I love those guys. And uh, so I signed them to my label. Uh, my label, the collective, went through Sony, Sony Red. Okay. And so mm -hmm. um, those guys, they made a great record that nobody ever bought. Mm. You know, um, super good. So um, Could I ask you an artist management question? If I, yeah, yeah. I yeah. mean, you can then you can. Yeah, if decide. I know it, sure. Actually, yeah. you will. Did you find that? What did it say? Are you looking at the? Is that the Black Keys information? Uh, yeah, we're, we're, yeah, we're looking for uh, to try to Mouse figure this. He definitely produced uh, the song "Tying Up," and I'm trying and and "Howling for You." Two songs on the album. Yeah, 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 yeah. and nothing earlier than that, I don't think. But maybe, I don't know. Um, I'll have to look. Yeah. I can't remember. Uh, the. Uh, um, you're gonna ask me something. Mike's quick question was. Um, what do you think the single most important aspect of the music industry there, uh, an artist manager needs to understand? The artist is always right. Yeah, you think that's it? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, not really, but I mean, uh -huh. I think in order to understand an artist, you have to be prepared to sort of go that way. You mm -hmm. know, um, you know, I don't know that there is a single most important mm -hmm. thing anymore. You know, everything's so fragmented. Everything is changing so quickly, you know. Um, personally, I think that a lot of managers don't really get deep enough to understand the value that they can bring to artists. And I actually think labels are becoming super important to artists. Mm -hmm. And I think it's kind of gone, like there was a moment when they kind of weren't that important, but now I kind of think that labels have a kind of a new a new um, value proposition, mm -hmm. right? Because of the streaming world and how quick it moves and how everything is right there. And if you're not analyzing data and looking at all the information that comes from it, um, then you're not really representing anybody correctly in the modern day, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, data drives so much about music. 
and most people don't even know what their Facebook insights are. They don't even know what their YouTube insights are. They don't know what the back end of Pandora is. Right. They're not looking at any of this stuff. It's getting a little bit better. And then and even if they know the numbers, they don't know how to apply it. They, they don't have the vision to understand it because they basically have one, two, three clients. Maybe a huge management company maybe understands it. Mm -hmm. But if you're not analyzing tons of data mm -hmm. all the time, then you're not really able to identify the outliers. And the whole thing about data, especially in the music business, is finding the outlier, mm. right? What's the thing over there that no one's expecting? What's the song that's on the album nobody thought was the song? Mm -hmm. What's the tour city that no one thought was the tour city? What's the merch item that you didn't think was the merch item that turns into revenue? Mm -hmm. That's the whole, that's the modern sort of, in my mind, that's the modern way of reading records. And if you've got experience, through radio, like promotion, marketing, like if you've done all those things and somehow you can apply all that experience but you understand the new world as well, you know, then I think that's a powerful thing, you know? Right. Um, I had something happen earlier which was so awesome. Um, the main, I, I, I don't know what is, he's, you know, one of the main, main people at, at Apple said, you're a unicorn. Uh -huh. And I thought that was so awesome. You guys know what a unicorn is? Yeah. yeah. Like as, as, a, as a business? Like the, a billion dollar. Yeah. yeah that's right. Like someone who really figures it out, mm -hmm. right? Oh, right. Okay. And when he said that, I was like, dude, that is the greatest compliment yeah. that anybody could ever give me. <laughs> yeah. You know? Because I'm old, right? right? And I'm in streaming. Like mm -hmm. I'm, I do streaming yeah. and online market. Like I'm deep in that world, right. but I'm old. <laughs> right? right? I've been yeah. doing this a long, like all, my whole life. Yeah. So to find myself in the center of the eye of the storm, right. it's fantastic, <laughs> you know? And to be at Concord, which has been a company that's been deeply rooted in jazz, smooth jazz, artistry, started buying some catalogs, fantasy, so yeah. CCR, mm -hmm. you know, fantasy. prestige, great right. jazz label. Maybe, I mean, right there with Blue Note, really, mm -hmm. you know? Sure. Either. Look, I'm gonna probably go with Blue Note if you're gonna really put me up against the wall <laughs> right. as the all-time greatest jazz label. But wow, Prestige is like wow. yeah. right there with it, right? Riverside. And then they've been able to make all these label acquisitions over the last few years. So now Concord's become arguably the you know the, the world's biggest independent yeah. label. Yeah. Completely wow. independent. Universal distributes us, but we control all of our destiny. Mm -hmm. And we look at the world completely different, how we want to look at it. Super artist friendly, super artist development. And, and it's pretty fun, mm -hmm. you know? Mm -hmm. and, and to be able to look at things with this experience where you can, um, you know, two people could look at the exact same information and get a completely different result based on how they got to that information. Mm -hmm. and. And you know, I just feel fortunate that that my my career has been based on on real, right? Mm -hmm. And so I was a promotion person, always looking for reality. I never wanted anyone to like fake anything. Like, is it working or not working? Is mm -hmm. the song a hit or not a hit? Mm -hmm. You cannot fake the public. Mm -hmm. You never could. You could fake radio. You could spend a bunch of money and fake for a minute, but in yeah. the end, the public decides, and now they decide really fast. Yeah. You know, and. You know, at the same time, for a label like ours, you know, we have this group called The Revivalist, and it's coming up on two years. 
that we've been working that record. And if it didn't have the tradition of radio and the marketing that came before I ever got the Concord, right? And they did the just what 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 still is a very valuable part of a label is is marketing and career development and artist development. And they did that. Oh, they did that over and over and over and over and for like a year. And then finally it started to connect at radio. Right? And then they had a number one AAA record for weeks and weeks, one of the biggest records of the whole year. Then it went to Alternative as the number one record there. Meanwhile, streaming is like months later. Mm -hmm. It came way, way, way late, mm -hmm. and it's still behind. Mm -hmm. And now the record's crossing the hot AC, right? And streaming is growing. But it's all, if you didn't have the tradition of being able to go and drive a record in the old model, mm -hmm. this would never be happening. If this band was on a major label, nine and a half out of ten times, they would have been moving on. And instead, their lives changed, right? And that's the, you know, that's the best part of being connected to artists, whether you're on the management side, the label side, or whatever, is when that happens. When people go from starving, sort of, mm -hmm. to like, oh, my life got better, mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, like a lot better, mm -hmm. you know. So is um, our catalog streams paying the bills at, at Concord while you develop? Yeah. I mean, that's the old traditional model too, of course, sale. Yeah. But today with streams. Yeah, so in our case, we have a lot of catalog, right? Yeah. So we've acquired the Evanescence catalog, yeah. the Seether catalog, yeah, the Creed catalog, you know, a lot of different, yeah. a lot of catalogs, publishing side and master side. Right. So our catalog, you know, I mean, at Spotify, catalog is some version of 80% of their business. Yeah. You know, at Apple, six, uh, 70, mm -hmm. I mean, it's, you know, it leads the way, yeah. right? Even sure. though the streaming services, you know, still s basically focus on their 20%, right? Or their 30%. 30%. Fans are really focused on, on the 70 or 80%. And, um, and so, yeah, catalog, st streaming catalog does does well for us mm -hmm. and allows us to um, to focus on on, on other things. But yeah. the but but the new artist, you know, Way Concord Music Group. I sit in the center in the shared services, and so each of the labels that we've acquired are still all there, mm -hmm. and they all have their own teams. Right. That's also very unique about a label. Most people would buy a bunch of companies and just downsize the shit out of them. Yeah. And Concord yeah. didn't do that. They mm -hmm. basically left almost every label completely intact. Mm -hmm. That's pretty unheard of, yeah. and it's a yeah. part of being fiercely independent. So that even inside of Concord, each label has their own vision, mm -hmm. their own strategy, their own personality, mm -hmm. their mm -hmm. own culture, right? Right. And we don't try to affect that. I try to manage within those cultures. So mm -hmm. I'm kind of like the master to seven labels. Yeah, yeah. Complicated. Right. You so know? you guys bought Wind Up or what? We did, but then Wind Up was the one label that kind of, I, I wasn't there. I don't know what exactly, why, how, whatever, but that's the one label that we did downsize, uh -huh. and, and the artist went into different places, uh -huh. uh, people that we chose to keep. Right. Um, and other than that, all the other labels that they've purchased, I think, have remained completely Pretty intact. Much. Right. Mm -hmm. right. Yeah. 
So we, it's time for us to end this. So we want to thank uh, Grover Beery for thank being you. here. Thank you very much. Thank, thank you for having so me. Much. We never officially said what your title was. We didn't give an intro, like a, a quick uh, bio. You are the uh, Senior VP of Digital Streaming, Marketing Strategy, and D2C at the Concord Music Group. That is correct. Yes. Wow. So that's what he, that's this guy who you've been listening to. That's what he does. That's what he <laughs> that's is. That's what I, right. yeah. So thank you definitely. Thank you for having for me, coming. guys. Thank you, Good luck to you guys. Thank you, Jeff Sauerman, for bringing him in. Yeah. Thank you, Dr. Esteban Marconi. And you, too. I'm your professor, David Kirk. Yeah. At the end of every show, we do not say hello. That'd be silly. Instead, at the end of every show, we say adios! Uh. Wait, one more. I can't remember when You looked at me and cried Said something broke inside of you My best friend Whatever come our way You know I'm yours until the Get